If you're offended by the words on this podcast, you'll be mortified by the words in the legal profession. Hello and welcome to episode 286 of the Thinking Outside podcast. This is Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox. Today on the show, we're going to dive into several things. We're going to go through several pearls versus turds submitted by user M, if I remember correctly. These are yeah, it was from- user M and it was a um, an older newsletter that uh, Graham Blake had written over at lsathacks.com. And uh, it actually was useful. So yeah, yeah. A lot of good, <laughs> we'll a lot that. of good stuff coming out of that. Um, <laughs> someone is wondering whether they should go to law school because they're not so good at reading comp and we give you the, the full lowdown there. It's a tentative. It's like a kind of a yes and no, right? It's, yeah. it's like a, it's like a, well, you're sort of fighting an uphill battle. Yep. But if you're a real lawyer, yeah, you're gonna be more than willing to fight every uphill battle. Oh my God. I'm reminded of my, my, my lawyer friend, Nikki Black, who I know I mentioned all the time on the show. She's by the way, she's going to come on the show real soon to give an Good. update from uh, a yeah, like, yeah. actual lawyer world. But <laughs> I got in a terrible fight with her one time. We saw the movie social network Okay, mm-hmm. and she was like vehemently defending Zuckerberg at dinner. Which I could, I just can't believe that you could watch that movie and defend Zuckerberg, but she is willing. Over what? Just like his aggressive. I don't even remember. It was 10 years ago now. And like, I'm sure we were drinking and it was just, but like, I was sure I was right, but I lost that argument because I gave up. I was just like, I surrender. I don't care. Like, sure. Zuckerberg is a great guy. Fine. I, (laughs) you know, like I was just not willing to go to war. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you struggle at LR and RC for a long time, uh, you know, a lot of people struggle with it at first, but after six months for sure of grinding it out and trying to get better, if you're still really struggling at LR and RC, then yeah, like you're fighting an uphill battle. Yep. But lawyers love to fight uphill battles. So, yeah. you know, I wouldn't be too discouraged just because of like natural ability or whatever. Like if, if you have that burning desire to be a lawyer, you, you can grind it out. Yep. What else did we talk about? We talked about um, having or trying to help your mindset when you start doing well. Is this really happening? What can I do to actually believe that the success is real? Um. We have someone who had an excuse. So for the excuse of the week, someone was worried about taking a year off because that meant they might not ever go to law school. Um, We had some clear and direct feedback for that. (laughs) The short answer there is basically (laughs) probably you just shouldn't go. Yeah. (laughs) You're, if you're not, if you're not willing to grind it out for a long period of time and fight those uphill battles, if you think that you have to go right now or you'll never go, it's a pretty good sign that it's not the right fit for you, but we have a, a, a lengthy discussion about that. Yeah. And then finally we ended with a logical reasoning question from test 65. It's actually section four, question 21 in which we talk about dicks on YouTube. So I'm sorry, that, <laughs> people, <laughs> that's going to be misinterpreted. Um, people who are dicks in comments on YouTube. 
Yes, which was not in the question itself, but we used an example about people being dicks in the YouTube comments yeah. to better understand uh, one, thoroughly understand one LSAT logical reasoning question. Yeah. Oh, by the way, it was a role question. It was a reasoning question that asked you about the role played in an argument. So we talked a little bit about that question type. Yeah. Uh, this will air on Monday, March 1st. Um, it's too late to register for the April LSAT, by the way, uh, which will take place in early April. <laughs> I, I don't know what else to say. Email the show. <laughs> Registration is open now for the June LSAT. I wouldn't bother registering for that until the registration deadline, whatever that is. But we can assume that it's like a couple months in advance. Yeah. So sometime in April, probably we'll be and we'll next episode. We'll have the date for the deadline for that. We will. Um, you can always email the show at help at thinkingelset.com and let's jump in. Pearls versus turds. You want to tackle this one? Sure. By the way, Pearls versus turds is the segment of the show where we take a bit of received scare quotes wisdom from the internet, the LSAT internet, and we um, try to decide whether it's actually a pearl of wisdom or a turd. Um, we've been doing this for a long time now. We've, uh, can you believe we've done 75 of these? The scoreboard yeah. right now <laughs> in 75 attempts, we found 11 pearls, 42 turds and 22 where we just didn't have the balls to actually decide whether it was a pearl or a turd. So we got lazy and just said tie. Yep. Um, okay, here it is. This is an email from a listener. Thank you very much. By the way, uh, Email help at thinkinglsat.com if you would like to get anything on the agenda, including uh, we're always looking for pearls versus turds uh, candidates. Says, hey, Ben and Nathan, first off, I want to say I love your show. You guys are a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw this article and I mean, thank you, but yeah, yeah. I saw this article that I think has some pearls if you need some. And here's an excerpt. Um, this article is coming from our buddy Graham. Uh, we haven't talked to Graham in a while, but he was on early episodes of the show. Yeah. Graham Blake. Uh, he's a very nice Canadian fellow who uh, runs a website called lsathacks.com. And this is an older article from Graham called, How Do I Go Faster on the LSAT? The candidates that uh, our listeners submitted, this is from M, by the way. Thank you, M. First tip says, don't worry about finishing the section. Do what you can with proper form and guess the rest. Without reading this whole paragraph of text, what's your gut say about Good. that tip? Yep. Don't worry about finishing. I would say the same thing. Do yep. well on the ones you get to and guess on the rest. I'm going to give Graham a, a pure pearl on this one because that's like I don't think I've ever done an LSAT class where I haven't told people to take their time and to focus on accuracy. Yep. And one thing I've never heard anyone say this before. I I'm kind of shocked, but Graham says proper form. Mm, yeah. What's that make you think of? Do the question correctly. In other words, don't read the question stem first, read the passage, slow down, understand it. I don't know what Graham means by proper form, but that's what I'm thinking in my mind. But what's it make you think of in an analogous situation, not the LSAT? Like working out. Yeah. Yeah. Like lifting with proper form. Yep. Right. I mean, I, do the reps right about it. Yeah. 
but <laughs> no, I feel you, like you we can speak to this. I feel like we've made that analogy before, right? Uh, you, you do the right reps and you do them properly, you're going to get stronger than if you cheat. Right. So in practice, you should take all the time you can to get them right because you need to learn how to get them right. That's proper form. But then when you go to the actual day of the test, you you don't change your form. Mm-hmm. You have developed proper form where you can do however many questions you can do. And maybe you get to the point where you can finish the section with proper form. And if you do, you're going to score 178. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But if you can't do it with proper form, then you shouldn't do it at all. You could hurt yourself if you don't use proper form. Yeah. It's a pretty good analogy. I would, so far I'm leaning Pearl for this because, you know, know, that sounds great. The second one uh, that M has excerpted out of this post says, focus on the setup, not the answers. I'll, I'll read this. On logical reasoning, spend more time than you think you should on understanding the stimulus. We could say passage instead of the, you know, arcane stimulus. Sure. On logic games, spend more time than you think you should memorizing and drawing the rules. On reading comprehension, spend more time than you think you should on understanding the passage. Why, quote, more time than you think you should? Because you're almost certainly overestimating how much time you spend on the setup of the question. Most students do. This is typical. You rush through an LR stimulus in 25 seconds and miss a major concept. Then you waste 70 seconds deciding between answers when you could have gotten through them in 10 seconds if only you had read the stimulus properly. Most students vastly underestimate how much time they waste on the answers. The LSAT rewards you if you understand the the stimulus slash setup slash passage. Yeah, I mean... Meanwhile, the answers are designed to be confusing. They subtract information. Spend extra time on the setup and you'll save time on the answers. Uh, Then a caveat. Obviously, there are limits to this. You can't spend nine minutes reading a passage, but you can definitely spend an extra minute. I I wish he would have just left out that whole like disclaimer. But what do you think about this idea to to focus on the setup and not the answers? I agree with it 100 percent. I'm confused um, by two words that he uses here. Uh, memorizing the rules. I don't, I don't know that I memorize them, but maybe that's just the same as understanding them. And I end up memorizing them. I've just never really, I think I kind of do in most cases, they just kind of register for me, you know, like you have them in your head. Well, especially because I don't really even write them out anymore. I mostly Mm -hmm. solve games with worlds. So it's not like I ever even write out each rule. Yeah. And I think what I'm doing is I'm either just taking the rule and baking it into my setup. So, you know, that's... So that's not really memorizing though, right? No, that's, that's obviating the rules by baking them in. I, what I'm worried about is I'm worried about people reading the rules and turning this into like a flashcard sort of thing where they're like, okay, do I have I memorized rule one? But yeah, yeah. Okay. Anything else? So the word memorizing, maybe, you know, whatever. The other thing I was confused about and not that it even matters to this tip, but I, I wondered what he meant by the answers subtract information. I, I don't fully understand that. Yeah. I, you know, I'm giving him credit for the truth of the matter, which is wrong answers are wrong. Yep. Four out of five answers are wrong answers. Yeah. They are 
distracting. They are confusing. They waste your time. You know, the way you go fast on reading comp is you really understand the passage. You know, you've Mm -hmm. got the main point, you know what the author is trying to sell you. You've got some idea of the argument, not the structure of, I hate, I hate when people say they're reading for structure. I think that's a terrible reading comp tip. Mm. I'm reading for comprehension. You know, what do you want? Why do you want that? Do you have any evidence for that? You know, did you give me multiple perspectives? What do you want though is the main thing. And if I get that, then I blaze through the questions because I predict the answer to half of them. I mean, half of the questions are just main point questions in disguise anyway. You know, when it says, what does the author think about one little detail? Half the time, the correct answer is just like, well, this relates to the main point in some way. Yeah. It has to be consistent with it. Otherwise it wouldn't make sense. Has to be consistent with the main point. And also half the time is basically just, did you understand the main point of the passage? Yeah. So you know, I'm predicting the answers. I'm going through the answer choices very quickly. One of the answers jumps out at me. The other four answers look like trash and I'm on to the next question. And it's, I would, I would bet that half of my time on reading comp is spent on the passage probably yeah. maybe even more than half my time. Yeah. Right. Cause I, I'm hardly even reading the words of the wrong answer choices. I'm dismissing wrong answer choices before I get even done reading them. I just, they just, I know they're wrong. Yeah. So subtracting, yeah, maybe subtracting information is a little bit of an awkward phrase, but the idea that you should spend more time on the passage in reading comp, you know, in logical reasoning, same thing, spend more time on the passage, predict the answer three quarters of the time, probably on logical reasoning. Yep. Games absolutely spend way more time on your setup. I mean, games is maybe where it's the most stark, right? If I do a good setup, there are many games where I bet I literally answer the questions in less than a minute, right? F- four or five minutes on a bitchin setup, 45 seconds on this, on the questions. I couldn't agree more because, uh, as I've started to do worlds more and more often, right? At this point, I, I don't know if I'm doing any more than I did before, but I would say like what? Three years ago, two years ago, I really started saying, okay, let's look at opportunities for worlds where I hadn't looked before, right? And I'd be doing the game and I'm like, wow, it's taken me five minutes to do this setup. And even though I was convinced that I should try out worlds, I'd been teaching the LSAT for seven years or whatever. I'm sitting here going, wow, I'm spending a lot of time. Maybe this wasn't the best choice. And then it's like, I go into the questions and it's like, boom, 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 boom. And you're like, oh, the whole thing just took me six and a half minutes. Okay, that was definitely faster than say even eight, which might be you know extraordinarily fast in anyone else's book, even in my own. Like, hey, I did this game in eight minutes. Why would I need worlds? Well, because if you had done it with worlds, you could have done it in six and a half and had less mental load maybe, right? So when he says uh, spend why more time than you think you should, because you're almost certainly overestimating how much time you spend on the setup, this this inability to value, I don't know, or estimate how much time you should be sent, spending is way off 
if it's off for me after seven years of doing the LSAT <laughs> teaching, right? Like it's got to yeah. be off for people who just started yesterday. Yeah. That's funny. I do the same thing. I like, uh, there'll be times where I'll be doing a setup in class and I'll have a decision to make like, well, do I want to split this template or not? Mm -hmm. Do I want to split this world or not? And I'll be like, well, I don't know. I've been going on a long time with this. Uh, uh, let's not. And then it's like five minutes later in teaching the game, I realized, oh, I should have done that extra split. If I would have gone that one step further, then I, I would have saved so much time later on. So yeah, it is it is true for everybody. You Going deeper into each setup, you know, deeper into your understanding of the reading comp, deeper into your understanding of the argument on LR, deeper into your setup for the game. It's like never wrong because then the questions get easier and easier and you spend vastly less time on the answer choices. I mean, especially in games, man, you know, the, the, the type the student, right? The novice who is spending a crazy amount of time, uh, testing answer choices for every question on the games. Oh, geez. Yeah. And, and then it, proceeds to get them right. Right. And says, well, I, I'm understanding the games. I just need to get faster at them. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you proved answer choice C is correct. That's actually great. But wow, I would not want to do it that way. Yeah, it's a clear if you're if you find yourself testing answers a lot and it applies to all three different sections. You know, if you think there are multiple contenders on LR frequently, it's because you didn't attack the passage well enough in the first place. Yeah. I, you know, what's strange is I don't feel like I've tested out answers in a long time. No, you don't. That's not how it's done. <laughs> you, I mean, you even know just like that. for one question, I think I, like I've yeah. said kind of what you just said, like, oh, you know, if you do it every, if you found yourself doing it a lot, there's a problem. It's like, maybe if you find yourself doing it for one question, you should be questioning whether you've really done that. I imagine there are cases where you may just have to test answers, but I feel like it's every blue moon, not one question per game. Yeah, it's it, you. I mean, like the list question on on the game, right? The first question in the game, the acceptability question or the list question. Mm -hmm. e even there, you're not really testing answer choices because what you're doing is you're taking a rule yep. and then you're eliminating answer choices. Yep. Mm -hmm. You're not just like looking at A and then trying to figure out whether it works or not. Instead, yeah, I imagine testing. Rule, mm -hmm. it, it's not testing. Yeah, right. Exactly. Testing um, is where you like actually work it out. And you're like, oh, that yeah. didn't work. And it's, yeah, you know. And even when they say like, which one of the following cannot go third? Yeah, I mean, I I either already predicted that in my setup, or you know, I might there. I'll probably el immediately eliminate three of them because of my setup. Yeah. And if there's two left and, you know, then I guess maybe I might plug one in and see if it works. But it's uh, it's kind of like at most I'm testing one answer choice. Yeah. Right. Mm hmm. Cool. Um, OK, so this seems useful so far. The third tip is breathe. Uh, 
All right, I'll just read the whole thing. Um, okay. There's a quote here says, I know I should take a minute and refocus, but when the clock is running, I can't force myself to spend time not solving questions. And that's a an anonymous Reddit comment. I guess this is a reader who thinks, or sorry, a, a commenter on Reddit who who has heard that they should breathe or take time or whatever. And then they're like, well, but I can't because the clock is ticking and I can't make myself do it. Sure. So Graham says, I hear the quote above a lot. When you're under time pressure, you feel like you just have to keep going and do the questions. This is actually not the attitude of top performers. Across all fields, top performers are acutely aware of mental state. Plowing forward is a bad move. I personally take micro breaks on the LSAT when lifting barbells, when riding, or anything I'm considered good at. The nature of the break depends on the activity. In barbells, I breathe meditatively as I'm lifting and focus within my body if I notice my thoughts stray. When writing, I meditate, do household chores, or look at pictures to take breaks in writing. When doing the LSAT, I just take a breath or two with my eyes closed. Total of five to seven seconds gives me my mind back. How can you afford not to do that? I go fast because I take micro breaks when needed. I do this if I feel stress, panic, etc. And the short break lets me nip those feelings in the bud and get back to work with a fresh mind. That's that's it for the uh, the tip that has been excerpted by M. Uh, again, that's from an article called How Do I Go Faster on the LSAT from LSAT Hacks. Um, what do you think? Uh, what do you think about the last bit? I It's not language I've ever used before, but I get what he's saying, and I think it's, it's uh, a good point. I think that, so I've never said like a micro break, but what I think he's trying to describe or what I think I'm doing that may be similar to what he's describing is when you're going through a section – um, there's like breaks between questions in the sense that I think of each question as a distinct challenge or test. And then I'm going to the next challenge or test. I'm not letting these things blur together, right? I'm not doing one question and then thinking about the last one. Also between sentences, if I read a sentence and it, it doesn't make sense, then I'm taking a moment to stop and understand it clarify in my mind what's going on and then moving forward. It's it's like these moments where you're taking time to sometimes break and think about something else, but making sure that you can zero in and be present with whatever it is that you're supposed to do right then and there. Not yep. a sentence ahead, not a sentence behind. What do I understand right here and right now? And if your mind is distracted, then a mini break is a way to bring it back. And you yeah. can take as many of those as you need. Oh, absolutely. So think, think about it this way. I'm not saying to do this, but what if you took a full five seconds in between every question? Close your eyes, yeah. take one really good deep breath, refocus yourself so that you can have a calm, careful approach to the question you're about to do. Yep. If you did five seconds in between every single question, five times, let's say 25 is 125 seconds. You're talking about two minutes total out yep. of 35 minutes. Yep. If if that two minutes results in even a 10% increase in your accuracy. Yeah. You know, or a 10%, uh, let's say it makes you 10% 
faster at solving the question. Uh, yeah. Well, then you get 10% times 35 minutes back. You've just earned a minute and a so, half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You actually saved a minute by, in, by intentionally wasting two minutes. Yeah. Right. And now please don't take this the wrong. I don't, everybody out there is going to start like taking full five seconds in between questions, <laughs> which is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is five seconds on the LSAT is absolutely nothing. It is, it's an inconsequential amount of time. And if you, you know, if, if there's something that you can do in five seconds, which close your eyes and take a deep breath, you can do in five seconds. Mm -hmm. And if that makes you even fractionally better, you know, it calms you down a little bit. Yeah. You know, it lets you let go of that last question and move on to this next question takes your panic level down at all that's the best five seconds you possibly could have spent yep um overall i'm voting pearl yeah i would give graham three pearls here three tips yep three pearls thank you m for sending those in by the way i'm reading the book breathe right now have you heard of that no it's all about breathing and my mind has been a little bit blown. I had no idea that there was a difference, quite a big difference between breathing through your nose and breathing through your mouth. Why? There's a, there's a lot of things that apparently happen when you breathe through your nose. Hormones that okay. get released, um, filtering, warming the air. I mean, I guess I kind of, yeah, sure, you're, the air that you breathe in through your nose would be warmed if it's cold outside or moistened. And But I didn't realize the significance of that. And... Um, the studies that have been done on people and apes where they've been prevented from breathing through their nose led to their deteriorating health pretty quickly. We're talking about weeks. Hmm. And hmm. it changes the shape of your mouth. So there are muscles in your nose, and when you breathe through your nose, they get stronger. Uh, when you don't, your, your teeth, actually, your, your mouth cavity starts to shrink. Like hmm. it's bizarre to me. I'm like reading this book. I'm like, what the, all these things are happening if you don't breathe through your nose. So that's what I'm reading. <laughs> wow. All right. Everybody out there, Ben says, breathe when you need to on the LSAT, but only through your nose. Cause otherwise <laughs> your mouth will collapse. Um, all right. Ready to move on to this yeah. next one. Mm -hmm. It's your turn. I'm bad at reading cop. Should I forget about law school? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. No, just kidding. Thanks for writing it. Go ahead. Okay, Sasha. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Hey, guys. Uh, I was listening to your episode the other day, and you mentioned the skills required for logical reasoning and reading comp are closest to the work lawyers do and law students do. Reading comp is the toughest section for me. I usually only get through three passages, and that's while rushing well, that well, could be don't why do you. That. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why you're only getting to three. Logic games is the easiest section for me. I excel at the games. Uh, logical reasoning is a medium difficulty for me. I have an 80% accuracy based on the demon stats. Okay. That's useless information. Unfortunately, sorry, Sasha. The old demon is going to try to keep you at 80% accuracy. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. People anyway. don't understand those numbers. <laughs> I, I, I still wish we wouldn't even show people those numbers because they don't, they do not, they have no idea what it means. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> 
I've been studying for the LSAT for several months now, and I've already taken it twice, scoring 155 and 157. My question is, if I am not able to get really good at reading comp and logical reasoning, is that an indication that I won't be a good law student and lawyer? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We're not saying that if you're not good at those sections, you won't be a good law student and lawyer. We're saying if you can't get good at them, then yeah, it's a good indication that you're not in the right profession. Those skills are core. Any good lawyer would eventually be able to master reading comp and logical reasoning. Now, I mean, speed, not necessarily, right? Like, I just, I can't imagine a a lawyer who would miss very many reading comp questions if they had unlimited time. I also can't imagine a good lawyer who would miss very many logical reasoning questions if they had unlimited time uh, and they had studied the LSAT, Mm -hmm. right? So I, if I was Sasha, I would be focusing on the questions that she has, he or she has time, time to attempt, mm-hmm. right? Because let's say this person gets to like the, the, the best they can do is two passages in reading comp, but they get them all right. Yeah. I would be willing to believe that that's that, that person could still be successful in law school and as a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And on, on LR, you know, you, whatever, you only make it to. 18 questions, 17, 18 questions, but you get them all right. You can still do it. Like you're never going to score 170 on the LSAT. Maybe you get to 160 on the LSAT. That's fine. But yeah, I mean, if, if you can't eventually get to that point, then I am, I just, I'm really worried about your potential in law school. The law, there's, it's going to be extreme amounts of reading mm-hmm. in law school. Yep. The exams are extreme amounts of writing in a timed in a timed setting. I mean, you've got three hours to do one essay that determines your entire grade for civil procedure for that semester. Yep. And the sound in the room back when we used to have in-person classrooms, the sound in the room would be deafening from everybody just hammering their keyboard, just, you know, it was like this, it was like a million giant spiders or something like that crazy sound in the room of everybody typing as fast as they possibly could on these exams. And, you know, like that's the competition for grades, which is the competition for jobs. So yeah, I mean, certainly your, your proficiency on like, you've got to be accurate first. But eventually, you know, like the kids at Harvard, Stanford, Yale, like they finished all four passages and got them all right. They finished all of the LR questions and got them all right. The vast majority of them. And those are the lawyers you're going to have to compete against in practice. You're going to have to compete against them in law school. Then you're going to have to compete against them in practice. So it, I don't know. I don't want to be too negative here to Sasha. But I also have to be real about what the academic competition and what the, what the, you know, well, I think in look, real life, the lawyering, mm-hmm. you're not racing the clock like that, but you definitely do in law school. 
Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, let's, let's look at that data that we looked at long, long ago in episode like six or seven when, um, that UVA professor was talking about the predictability of law school grades on the basis of your LSAT and GPA. You combine those two things together. It was like a 75% predictability or something like that correlated that much. Right. So obviously there are exceptions and you might be that special snowflake, but the reality is you take those two numbers, you put them together. It's a pretty dang good predictor of how well you're going to do in law school and how well you do in law school is a pretty dang good predictor of how you're going to do in traditional legal practice. Both of them, both LSAT and GPA are obviously good predictors of your performance in law school and your your performance in law school really like determines what kinds of jobs you're going to get at least right out of law school. Yeah. So, you know, like take me, for example, I'm a fucking wizard at the LSAT and I always was like, I I, I'm pretty sure my first practice test was like 170. Like the only thing I didn't know, the only thing I didn't have right off the bat was games. Yeah. Right. So, and you know, and then I eventually score a 179, which means that I have like the horsepower, ample horsepower to succeed. What I don't have you look at my undergraduate GPA of 2.5 and yeah. you realize, oh shit, this guy's not a lawyer. He's not, <laughs> he's not a worker bee. He's not going to like happily do all the work that everyone asks them ever. Yeah. That's not, I, I'm, I'm not that guy. Yeah. And so like, even though, you know, the LSAT clearly shows that I have some of the required elements, the GPA <laughs> shows the that I clearly lack one of the other required elements. So like, you know, maybe Sasha is a 4.0 and a 160. Yeah. You know, if you can get yourself up to a 160, but you've got that 4.0 undergrad and you know, you've got the work ethic. 160 means you've got, you know, I think you can, you're going to get by, you're going to have to work your ass off. But every lawyer is going to have to work their ass off. There ain't no easy lawyering. Yeah. I don't want to discourage Sasha too much. I mean, I, I but I like my advice changes rapidly if your undergrad GPA is like, oh, well, I, you know, a 3.0. Yeah. Or <laughs> 2.5 like me. The 2.5, 160, I'd be betting, you know, my house that you aren't going to probably succeed. <laughs> it's just... It, you know, not, and there, of course there can be exceptions. I, I'm not saying I'm hundred percent guaranteeing that you're not going to be successful. I'm just saying you're like less than 50%, which would make me willing to make a wager on it. Yep. She has uh, another question here is also how long is too long to study for the exam? In your opinion, I've seen some places saying to study for a few months and others saying to study for two years. <laughs> I just, it's so, every time I see any kind of a study schedule, it seems like cookie cutter advice that just doesn't necessarily apply to any individual student. So I think a few months is pretty much required for almost everybody. You know, not me. Yeah. Not me, but I started with a 170. I mastered the games in like six weeks. 
And then I killed the LSAT. So less than three months if you're really, really good at standardized tests or really, really good at English. And have the right approach, right? How many people are reading books that doesn't give them practice problems and not only doesn't give them practice problems, but it's giving them bad advice. I mean, it's one thing to be reading a (laughs) book that's giving you good advice and you're not having an opportunity to put it into practice. That's like reading, like the example you gave long, long ago, reading how to ride a bike. Okay, well, some people are reading books that claim to tell you how to ride a bike, but are telling you things like, you know, make sure you have two flat tires. And it's like, okay, well, this isn't great advice. This is not good. But even then you're not practicing. But if you get a good book that tells you to have fully inflated tires, you're still just reading. You're not actually going out there and riding a bike. So what kind of approach are you using, have been using? This person is in the demon, right? So that's good. Um, But we've seen people in the demon for longer than a few months. It depends on how much time you spend studying too. Yeah. And then other people, according to Sasha, there's others who are saying to study for two years. Yeah. Which is outrageously long for almost everyone. Yeah. You know, really? You're going to study for like, (laughs) what is that? That's like 3% of your life. You're going to (laughs) study for the LSAT. Uh, That's it's not worth it for almost everybody. Yeah. I mean, like there was this girl, right? Sorry. There's this girl who did study for two years. I know she went from a one, like low one forties, maybe high one thirties to a one seventy two, And she ended up at Northwestern, but it's like, she didn't make that decision to study for two years from the beginning. She was making right. progress. It was important to her. And she said, well, I'm going to keep going. If you're right. making progress, I wouldn't tell anyone to stop. If you want to keep going, right. you want to keep going up and you've seen progress in the past, just continue down that path. How long is it going to take you? I don't know. But, but planning to study for two years is outrageous. Like that's just outrageous. Not, I, yeah. If, if anybody said, I am going to have to study for two years for this thing, I would be like, well, isn't there anything else in life you could do besides, like, <laughs> why don't you get a job? I mean, because you're going to go to, you're going to study for the LSAT for two years, then apply, start law school a year after that, then be in law school for three years. Then, so you're talking about starting your law practice six, seven years from now. And it's uncertain because you might not make the progress you need to make on the LSAT. Like, <laughs> I would just be like, why are you doing this? But I mean, it comes back to something that I think we we do say it a lot, but we don't emphasize it quite enough. How do I decide whether I should go, you know, pursue this path? How do I decide whether I should be a lawyer? Mm. The answer is, do you have a burning fucking desire to be a lawyer? Like, are you single-mindedly obsessed with the idea of practicing law. Yep. And if you are, then do whatever it takes. And if that means you have to study for two years or or four years, you know, if that's your purpose in life, then do it. But if it's not your purpose in life, I think there's lots of other stuff out there you could do. Yeah. Let me give you some examples. If you're sitting here listening to this and thinking to yourself, oh, I want to go to law school because I want to open up opportunities. I want to open up doors. It's like, nope. Oh, okay. How about I want to go to law school because I don't know, it 
seems challenging and I'll learn something about oh god country i'll be a better citizen (laughs) yeah it's useful stuff to know for business no it's not it yeah no do you want to practice law do you want to learn all the magic incantations so that you're allowed to go in front of the court or or file documents and you know put like (laughs) do you want to be a practicing attorney and if you don't you know i mean i suppose you know yeah, it is finishing school for like really rich kids. If your folks are paying for it, your your grandma started a law firm and you are going to, you know, they're going to pay for it. And you're you're 21 right out of college, don't know what to do with your life. And the money is inconsequential. Then, I mean, I think you're probably going to hate it. <laughs> so I still would say like, don't go, don't go. You know, it's it, it's a very weird way to just waste three years. If you're not sure what you want to do, it's, it's not interesting. I didn't find it interesting at all. I mean, it's, it's just so highly technical that I don't think you're going to get much out of it as just like an interested citizen. Mm -hmm. At least that wasn't my experience. Yeah. Certain people have a burning desire, though, to actually practice law. And if that's you, then welcome and we'll do everything we can for as long as we need to get you the right score so you can go to the right school for the right price. Yep. And (laughs) so for Sasha, yeah, I don't want to be discouraging. I mean, you can make it. It just might take a long time. Yeah. You have to decide whether that sacrifice, you know, is worth it. Yep. Okay. okay. This next one. Um, oh, I this guess is it's you. Me. Yeah. LSAT mindset advice. Hi, Nathan. Reaching out for some mindset advice. I've been feeling myself really learning in the last month. I've repeatedly gotten 22 out of 23 I attempt on logical reasoning, 24 out of 27. That's, that's the whole section in reading comp, and 20 out of 23 on games. Last week, I got a 167 for the first time after being stuck in the low 160s for a long time. By the way, this is a student of mine from San Francisco from three years ago. Wow. Who's now back studying with us in the demon. (laughs) So what we actually recommend is a three-year study plan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, the point is like, this this is a student who has that burning desire to practice law. Yep. And, you know, in my class, I think she was in the one, maybe even one forties and one fifties. And now she's coming back to the demon years later and she's struggling in the low one sixties, which is a step in the right direction. But now all of a sudden this breakout to one sixty-seven. she says, however, I'm finding myself making excuses for doing well. I'm finding it difficult to believe I am doing as well as I am question mark. I've noticed when I'm confident, but slow and focused, I'm ruthless. I don't want to second guess my growing ability to tackle this test and lose the measured confidence I often need to get 20 logical reasoning questions straight in a row. I don't know if you've ever gotten a question like this before. Any advice on how to talk to myself to start believing that I'm putting in the work and it's coming to fruition? Best A. Uh... I wanted to put this on the agenda because I, this is a question that I get all the time. 
I mean, I've had dozens, if not hundreds of students say this. Yeah. People think the test is harder than it actually is frequently because they've struggled at it earlier in their LSAT career. And then when they actually start doing the test properly, right? She's got good form here. Mm -hmm. 22 out of 23 attempted on LR randomly guessing on the last couple questions in the section, because who cares? Yeah. 24 out of 27 in reading comp, a little room for improvement there, right? Like accuracy is Mm -hmm. good, but could be better. Yep. 20 out of 23 on games means you need to keep hammering the games and get to perfection on the games because people do. But all of a sudden, 167, well, yeah, because you've learned a lot about the test. Mostly you've learned to go calmly and carefully and solve each question, picking the right answer and eliminating the wrong answers. I mean, it's pretty straightforward, but when you do it that way, then yeah, you get 20 in a row right at the beginning of your logical reasoning section. Yep. And if you get 20 in a row right at the beginning of your logical reasoning section, it hardly even matters what you do after that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Do you have any like specific advice for her other than just, yes, this is how it feels when you get good at the test? I think that's good advice. I think your advice to to recognize that the test is easier than you think it is, is good advice because what you're essentially doing is you're projecting that belief out there, right? You're you're saying, hey, like the way you're thinking about the test as being hard is incorrect. I was thinking about this. I, it's, I, for some reason, I keep thinking about like meditation or things like that. Like, I wonder if A, needs to become more aware of thoughts that just come out of nowhere and recognizing them as such and not just accept instantly accepting them. I think that's like what meditation is all about is like becoming aware of what you're aware of, right? Like if she's sitting there and she does well on a test and then she thinks to herself or he thinks to himself, wait, I can't remember he or she, but like, oh, this can't be real. I'm not really this good. Well, that's a thought that came from somewhere. You don't have to believe it, but sometimes we just accept all thoughts that come into our mind because they came into our mind. I don't know, becoming a little more distant from like recognizing thoughts for what they are. And that are just momentary ideas that sometimes pop into our head out of our control. So like thinking about it, she has this thought come through her head, like, Oh, but I was in the one sixties for so long. One sixty seven. Yeah, this must be, be a fluke. Anomaly. Yeah. Say, I mean, grapple with it as truthfully as you can. It, it certainly could have an element of luck in there, but you can only be so lucky. So, and do you understand these questions as you review them? I mean, just as we tell people to review sections when they do poorly, when someone does well and doesn't believe it, start reviewing it and ask yourself, do I, do I really understand this question? Do I really understand that one? Or is there some element of guessing going on here? And if you feel good about all of them, the score is just the sum of those questions. So then it is legit. Yeah. There's something there, huh? One question at a time. 
knowing that you have solved it before you even hit submit, you know, feeling really confident. Yeah, I'm getting this one right. Move mm -hmm. on to the next one. Yep, I'm going to get, uh, yep, I got that one right too. Without, you know, independent of the answer key, mm -hmm. just this habit of knowing that you're solving the question correctly yeah. before moving on to the next one, which it sounds like she's done. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, my final word on the matter is we see people improve by 20 points all the time. Yep. So, you know, like, yeah, you broke out now to this new higher level, hopefully of scoring. There's going to be ups and downs, but there's going to be more ups than downs. Generally, if you're studying with us, do going about things the right way, you're understanding the test better and better every day. And your scores are eventually, you know, going to reflect that your average scores are certainly going to reflect that if you keep at it for long enough. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's not, people don't really, for one, they don't tend to get really lucky on the upside. It's hard to get lucky on the, up, uh, to get really lucky. You know, mm -hmm. it's just not, you don't just out of nowhere, like go from 152 to 167. That doesn't, that never, literally never happens. Yeah. It's not luck if that happens. Yeah. Is what I'm saying. So you're doing all the right things. Hundreds of students just like you have said this exact same thing to me in the past. <laughs> like, you know, the, it's the old thing of, oh, well, that was just an easy test, right? Yeah. Oh, that was just an easy section, right? Yeah. And I, yeah, easy for you because you're good at the test now. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know how to make her believe that, but it's, it's just, it's not uncommon in the slightest that people have this feeling. Is this real? Yeah, it's real. Your work is paying off. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Anything more on that one? No. All right. Excuse of the week. So this is where we take <laughs> someone's excuse for whatever <laughs> and tell them to stop following it, I guess, or letting it change their behavior. Uh, this one says, I have to apply this cycle because I know if I take a year off, I'll never go. Jeez, that is horrible. <laughs> yeah. If you're never going to go, was... <laughs> then you shouldn't go. Exactly. Yeah, I saw that in our, um, that was in the, in the Slack, the, the, uh, tutoring Slack that we have, uh, for all of our awesome LSAT demon teachers. And, you know, we kind of share like experiences with our students and with our classes. Yeah. And, uh, one of our tutors was frustrated because they were, you know, they just have a student who is like rushing into the February LSAT which by the way, if you took the February LSAT, good luck another three weeks and your scores will be out. Um, rushed into the February, rushing into the February LSAT because I have to apply this cycle because I know if I take a year off, I'll never go. And I saw that and I, I had the same reaction you did, which was just like, if that's even part of your vocabulary, then just don't go. Yeah. <laughs> like you're going to spend a lifetime grinding it out as a lawyer. 
And if you, if, if you really would just, if you don't go right now, you're going to not go at all. Yep. It sounds like you have no idea what you're getting yourself into and you really probably just shouldn't go. You don't have that burning desire. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like if, if this is your life's work, then you don't need to go to law school right now. You, you need to start your legal career on the right foot. Cause this is a student with a low LSAT score applying late in the cycle, you know, not going to do clearly not going to do as well as they possibly could on their one shot at the February exam yeah. before applying super fucking late in the, in the cycle. Yeah. And it's just like, oh my God, no, please. I I just see all manner of disasters that are gonna befall this this student. Yeah. You know, you're gonna you're gonna squeak into some shitty school, you're gonna pay full price, you're probably gonna struggle while you're there, painting with a broad brush, but on average, that's what's gonna happen to you. Yeah. And if you waited just a few months, really, you know, yep. studied a little harder, retook the L, give yourself multiple chances at the LSAT instead of just one. Yep. Apply in September with a really good LSAT score. You're, you start law school a little bit later. So what? You start your legal career with such a better foundation. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's the excuse of the week. And it's a per- it's a very common one. I hear this all the time. You know, I, we get it from people who aren't happy with their offers too. Yeah. Like this cycle, I have one friend who is a regular listener of the show and they're, they're going to go this cycle and I'm, I'm really kind of worried about it. They, they did, they grinded it out for a while, you know, they, they but this cycle, you know, ended up with like best offer was like a half scholarship. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and, and what they're saying is, well, I'm worried, you know, if I don't, if I don't go right now, I'm never going to go. Yeah. And I'm like, well, then maybe it's not right for you. If that's really the case that you, you really can't, you know, wait another year to save $75,000. Yep. Then I don't know, maybe, (laughs) maybe it's not the right thing. I hope I'm wrong you know, about this one particular friend that I'm thinking of, but it's like, and I, and you certainly, I certainly can be wrong. And I I really hope I am wrong in this, in this situation, but on average, I I think I'm right, which is why I have to keep saying that. Yeah. All right. We got a logical reasoning question to tackle. Let's do it. Let's do it. This is test 65, section four, question 21. I guess I'll go ahead and read it. It says, this is a philosopher. To explain the causes of cultural phenomena, a social scientist needs data about several societies. One cannot be sure, for example, that a given political structure is brought about only by certain ecological or climatic, climatic factors unless one knows that there are no similarly structured societies not subject to those factors and no societies that through subject 
to the those subject to those factors are not so structured. <laughs> Boy, that was it's one, all one sentence. sentence. Yeah, and yeah. I, I probably should have stopped at the colon and maybe some other places. I <sighs> so going back um, to explain the causes of cultural phenomena, a social scientist needs data about several sci- societies. That kind of makes sense to me. Basically, right? If you if you if you want to figure out what's causing something, it'd be helpful to have multiple data points, not just one, because then you can be more sure that that's likely the cause, that there really is some sort of correlation between that cause and whatever cultural phenomena is happening. Yeah. And maybe personalize it. Think of any cultural phenomena, right? Uh, How about being being a dick in YouTube comments? Sure. That's a cultural phenomena. YouTube yep. comments are insanely evil. Yep. Why is that? I want to understand why everybody's a dick in YouTube comments. And if you if you just have one culture or one society to look at, uh you kind of be kind of guessing at the potential causes. I mean, you can certainly have your guess, but if you had multiple societies, especially ones that didn't have right those people being dicks in youtube comments well yeah so and then I you could really like, like yeah hey i'm an american mm-hmm. i look at youtube and it's i don't know it's i don't know if it's like american youtube but probably the videos that i watch tend to be american and so the commenters probably tend to be american and everybody's a dick but if i started looking at uh you know videos about the Canadian healthcare system or the uh, Canadian Mounties. Mounties? You know, the cops in oh, Canada, are the, no, they're called Mounties. I did not um, know that. Yeah. Well, maybe not the cop. Anyways, it's, they're like Rangers. They're like Canadian. They're kind of like park Rangers, <laughs> or at least they dress like that. <laughs> um, point being, if I looked on Canadian YouTube, I may or may not find people being dicks in the YouTube comments. Yeah. Okay. So if I'm a social scientist and I want to understand why people are being dicks on American YouTube, mm-hmm. I'm going to need to get data about several different societies like Canada where people are nicer. Yeah. All right. Now let's continue. And this is, it's a good, exa- this is a great like teaching example here because you read it for, you read it the first time without stopping. Yep. And it seems to me, I mean, I got nothing out of your, your reading of it. It was just like eyes glazed over, just skim through. If you read it well, you should only have to read it once. I was reading an LSAT book the other day and I saw a God awful tip that said you should expect to read the passages more than once in logical reasoning. And I was like, absolutely not. I, I don't have time for that. I want to read it well once because I have to read it well once, right? It's like, there's no point in skimming it and then going back and reading it the right way. Yeah. I would rather read it the right way in the first place. And it happens to everybody. It happens to you. It happens to me. You know, you just, if, if you, you're like biting off more than you can chew, right? You're, you got to the, you got to that colon here and your mouth was full and you just kept shoveling it in. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I know I had this like hope that the period was going to come soon and it didn't come. And it's like, okay. I mean, I also hear some other opportunities. I could have stopped at the unless, 
right? Because it's like, okay, let's totally. get our mind wrapped around the rule and then we can worry about the exception because unless introduces exceptions, um, even once we're in the exception, we could have stopped at the and, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just really botched it there, but it's turned into a good um, reminder. So anyways. It's a, yeah. I mean, we can add a writing tip here while we're at it. That colon needed to be a period and a new sentence. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, and you, because it wasn't a period, you didn't stop. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so hard to read people's writing when they don't use periods. <laughs> but this, you know, the, the idea that in order to understand the cause of a social phenomena, you need data, you need data about several societies. Yeah. That's an easy idea to understand. Yeah. Especially if you take two seconds and think about YouTube comments or something. Yep. Or any other phenomena. Yep. And w- give another example of a social phenomena, just so people don't think this is magic or something. Yeah. Staying up uh, late and eating late. That's one thing. Sure. Uh, getting a COVID shot or not getting a COVID shot is a social phenomenon. Everything is a social phenomena, right? It's like the yeah. behavior of people. Yep. So whatever. Rioting. To understand why people do what they do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need to understand. You get. You got to get data from several societies. That also kind of sounds like a conclusion a little bit, right? Like, why do you believe that? Yeah. Like, well, why can't I just understand YouTube comments based on American data? Why do I need multiple yeah. Do I really need, or can I just do it from one society? Um, yeah. Do I buy that idea or do I not buy that idea? And the next sentence says, one cannot be sure. For example, and examples, oh. by the way, are always premises. Yeah. Right. So now it's like, it's a whole different reading, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. the, our first skimming did absolutely nothing for me. I don't absolutely remember nothing. jack shit about what's coming in this argument. I don't I don't have Oh, one... but it, it's going to make it easier to understand what we're about to say, Nathan. <laughs> yeah. Well, we should have read the question first and skimmed the answer <laughs> then choices. Skip the then pa- that really skimmed the passage and then read the passage again and then read the question again just to clarify what we're now discussing. No. To be clear, we're going to read the passage first on logical reasoning and we're going to take it one small bite at a time we're going to chew our food and swallow before we move on to the next bit yep. and before we move on to the next bit and if we do it properly we're only going to need to read it once and we're going to basically be able to tell someone you know if they took the passage away from us we'd be like oh well you know it basically said you know they they gave they they said in order to understand a social phenomena you got to have data from multiple cultures and then they gave an example of why at least yeah. that's what we got so far. So what Wait, is this I, example? I want to take your analogy a little bit further. So yeah. we're going to chew our food, right? We're going to yes. swallow, and then we're going to go to the next bite-sized thing. And if if some food requires a little thought, we're going to savor it, and we're going to figure out how <laughs> it actually tastes. Yeah. No, which that first little bit did, right? Like we yeah. chewed on it, and we realized, huh, do I really buy this or not? I mean, that yeah. could have been a premise that in order to understand the causes of a cultural phenomena, you have to have data about several societies that very well could have been a premise. Totally. But we were like, hmm, really? I mean, I can certainly see why that might be the case, but are you really, you're saying that you can't ever understand the causes of a social phenomena without multiple societies? Cause 
America is pretty damn big. And why can't I just understand the causes of Americans in one society? You know, sure enough. So, so was that a premise or was it a conclusion? And then we get our answer right away because it says, right away. for example. Yep. So the next, right, go ahead. the next part of this sentence, because there's only one in this entire thing, says, one cannot be sure, for example, that a given political structure is brought about only by certain ecological or climatic factors. So I'm going to stop there. You talked about, you know people being dicks in YouTube comments. This is, of course, talking about something much more uh, abstract, but it's still something we can make concrete. A given political structure is, you know, a democracy or a government and um, versus like a monarchy or something, right? You, You could switch examples here if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. I, I encourage students to be fluid with whatever example they're thinking about, but this actually works. People talk about the ecosystem in inside YouTube mm-hmm. and there is a political structure inside YouTube. There's moderation, there's voting, there's flagging, there's, you know, blocking, there's all kinds of structures, which you could call a political structure. Sure. Maybe it's a dictatorship if YouTube is just, you know, in charge of it, which is still a political structure. Mm-hmm. And it is an it is like a little ecosystem inside there, right? There's like behavior moderation and cultural factors. And so you don't necessarily need to get off of the YouTube example in order to just say, okay, so do we know that the way that the YouTube, you know, for example, people getting blocked on YouTube or Trump getting blocked on Twitter. Yeah. Right. Uh, we don't know that that came from ecological, certain ecological factors. In other words, the ecology of YouTube or, or even the ecology of things around YouTube, right? Like the environment that it's in. The fact that people are sitting in their basement, mom's basement in front of a screen all day without any actual human contact. Yeah. (laughs) Right. We can't be sure that that's what causes this behavior of being a dick or the moderation of people who the moderation or lack thereof of people being dicks. We can't be sure that that arose from this particular ecology unless what? So the unless now is going to say, well, here's how we can. Yep. Unless one knows that there are no similarly structured societies not subject to those factors. So I'm going to stop there again. So yeah. we have to know. So you you can't know what brought about this political structure or this system by these factors unless you know there's no one else, no other systems that are not subject to those factors. And we also know that no societies that those subject to those factors are not so structured. So uh, those are there's two ideas. They're a little bit wordy, but I I get what it's trying to say. You have to know that there isn't something else just like what you're looking at. 
but came about without the causes you think might have caused it. You'd need a society where people weren't in their mom's basement without any human interaction. You'd need a place where everybody hangs out in public with friends and they're on YouTube in a big group of people, you know, and they're not isolated and they're not they're not hidden behind their screen. And yet they're still being dicks in the YouTube comments. Yep. So you need to know that there's none of those. And you'd also need to know that there are no societies that even though they have those factors, don't end up having people be dicks. And right. So there you would need people isolated in their mom's basement, hiding behind a screen all day, drinking Mountain Dew, and not being dicks on YouTube. Yep. If you if you have either one of those things, then your causal connection is at least suspect, right? Right. So savoring that for a moment. Mm-hmm. Since we're done with the argument now, mm-hmm. I don't think that they have a hundred percent proven their case. No. But I certainly understand what they're saying. If you go to Canada and people are in their basement drinking Mountain Dew, isolated behind a screen, but they're not being a dick on That's YouTube. Probably not the cause in America. Could be. Yeah. yeah. Or if you go to Sweden, I say Sweden because I think they didn't really lock down for the pandemic. At least that's my impression. But you go to Sweden and everybody's sitting out in the cafes in a social environment, but they are being dicks on YouTube. Yep. Then you wouldn't, how it, then it would make less sense for you to just like only study America. Everybody's isolated. Everybody's being dicks and think that the isolation is causing you to be a dick because you look at Canada and you go, Hey, they're isolated, but they're not being dicks. And you look at Sweden and you go, they're not isolated and they are being dicks. So it suggests a little like crack in the foundation there, right? The reasoning is not, it's a little suspect. Yep. So I I think the argument's decent because it says you can't be sure unless you're in this situation. That doesn't mean that if you are in that situation where none of these societies exist, you are sure. We're just saying you can't be sure if you're not in that situation. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean... Logically, it seems pretty sound, right? And this is, by the way, this isn't any kind of formal logic training or anything. This is just common sense. If we can't find any other society where people are isolated and not being dicks, right? Yeah. Like if, if, if we look around and every time they're isolated, they're being dicks. If we also can't find a place where they're not isolated and they are being dicks, right? We look, every time we look around we see people that are in social environments. And then now they're being nice in the YouTube comments. If that happens every single time, then it certainly strengthens our idea that, Hey, maybe the isolation is the cause for this cultural phenomena of being a dick on YouTube. Helps. All right. So the question says the claim that to explain the causes of cultural phenomena A social scientist needs data about several societies plays which one of the following roles in the philosopher's reasoning. Well, okay. This is, 
a reasoning question is asking us what role in particular the first sentence is playing in the argument as a whole. We already talked about that. We saw that the second half of this sentence, everything after the colon is an example, which is always evidence. And it's an evidence for what was said before. And we already were wondering whether that was a conclusion. And then we knew it was a conclusion. So all they're doing is asking us, hey, what's the first part of this argument doing? And we're saying, well, that's the conclusion. People struggle with reasoning questions or particularly these role questions. They think that they're they're like really highly technical and people way overthink it. Mm -hmm. Are they asking you? So to ex- the claim is to explain the causes of social of cultural phenomena. A social scientist needs data about several societies. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was either the conclusion or it was a premise in support of the conclusion or it was something else. And we look back at this argument and we go, well, yeah, that was the conclusion. They started with it. Then they gave a lengthy example. Mm -hmm. All the argument had was an example in favor of this conclusion. So it's the conclusion of the argument. And you got to do that independent of the answer choices, man. You, (laughs) the second you start reading the answer choices, you're toast. If you don't go into these answers, knowing that this is the conclusion of the argument, you're, you're done. Yeah. Okay, so answer choice A. It describes a problem that the philosopher claims is caused by the social scientist's need for certainty. I'm already like, ugh. Ain't no problem. It's the conclusion of the argument. They gave a conclusion, then they gave the example to support that conclusion. If the answer doesn't say it's the conclusion of the argument, it's not the answer. So I, I, w- I think I would read the first half of that and I'd be like, goodbye. B, it is a premise. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's just it, it is the conclusion of the argument. So we don't need to read any further. Yeah, we don't have like any intermediate conclusions here or anything that could be a conclusion and a premise at the same time. So this is gone. C, it is a general hypothesis that is illustrated i'm interested i'm i'm listening i'm interested i'm listening so if something in this case a general hypothesis is illustrated by something else then it is a conclusion possibly i mean they gave an example right example and illustration mean the same thing also means premise so it is a general hypothesis that is illustrated with an example showing that there is a, a causal relationship between political structures and environmental conditions. Ooh. Ooh. Um, did the example show that there's a causal relationship? No, it just said, hey, you got to figure out whether there's a correlation here. Um, whether or not there's a causal relationship is a whole nother issue. So, Yeah. Showing, by the way, on the LSAT means proving. Yep. And they didn't. I mean, they didn't even try to prove that there is a causal relationship between political structures and environmental conditions, let alone did they actually prove that there is a causal relationship between political structures and environmental conditions. That wasn't their point. There was an example 
that was, hey, you'd have to research this to figure out whether it was the environmental conditions that was causing the political structures. Mm-hmm. The topic is right. The structure of that answer is actually really good because if that said it's a general hypothesis that's illustrated with an example, you know, and then they correctly described what the example actually did, but it went wrong yeah. at the word showing there. We They did not prove anything about a causal relationship between these two conditions. Yeah. D, it is a dilemma that, okay, I'm not sure what they mean by dilemma. I'm already skeptical. I'm still curious, so I'm reading a little bit more. It's not conclusively wrong yet. Yeah, but I'm suspect. It doesn't I don't remember this being proposed as a dilemma. That's a weird word choice, but you know, if the rest of the answer was spot on, I'm willing to yeah. say dilemma, you know, maybe a dilemma is a thing that you are forced to do, which kind of the conclusion was a thing that you're forced to do if you're a social scientist. So I, I'm not excited. No, but I'm not I'm excited. But I not can't excited. conclusively not excited, but, it, but yeah, I'm not going to just be like, oh yeah, well this said premise, yeah, so we're out of here. Right. It is a dilemma that it is argued is faced by every social scientist. And if dilemma means thing you have to do, then this answer so far is correct. Because it said a social scientist needs data. It didn't say some or most. A social scientist means every social scientist. So yeah. Yeah is faced by every social scientist because of the difficulty. Uh, I'm willing to stop here. <laughs> they never said difficulty. They never talked about anything, any of this being difficult. Nope. I imagine it is. And I imagine people would read it and think it does sound difficult because nope. you got to go find all these they structures. Didn't say it was, but they didn't say it. They didn't say right? that, so. that this is, uh, you have to do it because of the difficulty of what? This, that wasn't. That's not relevant. And then it goes on and it's wrong again. Go Keep going a little bit farther. Sure. Because of the difficulty of determining whether a given cultural phenomenon is the cause or the effect of a given factor. <laughs> Never talked about this back and forth. No. Like, oh, are you the cause or are you the effect right. or what? Reversal yep. of cause and effect is really common on the LSAT. But this philosopher was not at all talking about difficulty of cause and effect. So it feels as if we've eliminated A, B, C, and D. Yep. E, it is the claim that the philosopher attempts to justify, okay, well, that would fit the definition of a conclusion. You're trying to justify your conclusions. It is a claim that the philosopher attempts to justify by appeal to the requirements for establishing the existence of one kind of causal relationship. One kind of causal relationship here is their example of, hey, mm-hmm. you're not going to know whether a certain political structure is brought about by whatever ecological or climatic factors. You're not going to know that. You're going to have a hard time establishing the existence of that causal relationship. You're going to have, because there are, how do you know that? the effect doesn't happen without the cause. And how do you know that the cause doesn't happen without the effect? Those are the requirements for establishing or proving that there is that causal relationship. I'm also just thinking of the phrasing here. One cannot be sure unless that's giving you a requirement. 
Sure. Yeah. Unless is setting up a conditional statement, which means that there is a sufficient and a necessary condition or a necessary condition, meaning uh, being the same thing as a requirement. Yeah. You can't. Right, I'm, submit- <laughs> I'm submitting this answer. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get it right? It's green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Um, explanations already existing in the demon. There's a video from me. There's a video from you. There's another video from me. I'm sure we will very soon have a written explanation. And yeah. this recording from the podcast is also going to go into the demon, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> this is an example of a question where we've already got uh, three chances uh, to get help if you need it. Uh, not only that, but there's the ask button in the upper right-hand corner. And when we're reviewing this question, if you had any uh, uncertainty at all, you can write a specific question to ask, uh, ask us for extra help. And uh, our team is yeah. going to get back to you within 24 hours with a written explanation. We really want people to go deeper in their review. Um, yep. We, we, you got it. It's, you know, it's, you, yeah, you want to spend as much time as necessary to read that philosopher's argument, really digest it, you know? Um, yeah. Make sense of it. Try to predict the answer. Yeah. But, you know, if you struggle with it at all, and if you don't, if the explanations aren't perfectly satisfying, then please do use the ask button in the demon because you're going to make the demon better. I mean, our written response is going to add to the demon. So we really appreciate when you do that. But also, I mean, we win when you win. We're successful only to the extent that you're successful. So, mm-hmm. um, the best way for you to be successful is to go really deep on every single mistake you make. That's where the learning really happens. And we got all kinds of different ways to help you uh, in the demon. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Should we wrap it up there? I think we should. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Thinking LSAT, also at LSAT Demon. Leave us a review on iTunes. We always appreciate that. If you have a question or a pearl versus turd or anything you want to send us, new insights on (laughs) the ever-changing landscape or never-changing landscape of LSAT land, email us at help at thinkinglsat.com. If you have questions about the demon, you can reach that team there at help at lsatdemon.com. That was episode 286 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.